And let's, let's just begin with prayer tonight. Our Father, we praise you, we thank you to have an opportunity to see each other's faces. We see, Lord, we see your face in our brothers and sisters. And we are so grateful that you have made us a family and you've made us one with our Lord Jesus as our head. Lord, help us remember those things every day, uh, whatever your providence brings on those days. Uh, remind us of those things. Lord, we thank you for the uh, resurrection of your Son, and as we study uh, these 40 days between his resurrection and ascension, uh, Lord, uh, feed us uh, from seeing this part of our Lord's life and equip us uh, to share the gospel with others. Uh, by understanding your word, give us the patience to to study all your word and deliver us from um, picking and choosing. Lord, we do pray for a great revival or reformation uh, where people would come back to see uh, how wonderful your word is because it reveals you as our wonderful God. And help us never be ashamed, Lord, of you, your gospel, your son, your word, uh, regardless of what men may say of us. Lord, we, <clears throat> we pray for Bill, uh, Bill Sutton, and Bill Carson, for both of our Bills. We thank you for these men and their testimony. We ask you to be, be a strength uh, to them and help us know how we can hold them up in these days. We commit ourselves to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're back to our normal, uh, normal type studies. We're just going through the New Testament in order. And we stopped four weeks ago on Resurrection Day. And so today, if you look at your notes there, Jesus' post-Resurrection Day appearances to his disciples. So that's what we're going to study the next few weeks. I have up here on the screen, you don't have this in your notes, but I have kind of the high-level outline of what we're going to march through here. It might take us just, I don't know, two or three weeks. We'll see. Uh, the chronology, we'll look at that tonight, some chronological hints of that 40 days. And then we'll look at some of Jesus' appearances. And so let's just kind of get, get right into it. Maybe I'll draw a little diagram here. Is, uh, we'll, we'll start out. And this is the first day here. That's uh, Resurrection Day. And then eight days into this, is when Jesus appears the second time. So this is actually the second first day of the week. <laughs> okay, resurrection's on the first day of the week, and then the second first day of the week, we have a chronological statement there from uh, John twenty twenty six, And after eight days, that is eight days from the first day, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. This, so this is the first day of the second week, so we know that's eight days. 
The only other thing we actually know is way out here at 40 days. So we got another 32 days here. Okay? And this is the ascension. Okay? That's the ascension, which is at 40 days. And the only reason we know that is because Luke says that in Luke 24:50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And this is 40 days post-resurrection. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 reads, I have it right there in your notes, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So that's about all we know. Um, this is at forty days. So there's a bunch of activities that go on in between here, but it's um, we can't actually sort them all out as far as what the order is of those, those kind of things. But we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and the Lord's given us you know, everything we need. And actually, it's kind of a blessing that our Gospels aren't giant tomes. <laughs> you can read uh, four relatively brief Gospels and really come to know who Jesus is or get a foundation. Um, especially if you tie it into the Old Testament, the references that he makes. So our Gospels don't need to be gigantic, and so that's, that's really good. Uh, your questions and comments in our class are, are very welcome, and uh, we can have a lot of discussion. And so Thelma's going to start us. Okay. On this 245-246, that was the last lesson, Right? the one that was picked up in the new lesson, which is a, um, the non-lordship theology. Do you yeah. have any outline for us to follow? We're done on that. Okay, so and you're in another lesson. Thank you. Yeah, we're done on that. But if, if you need copies, I can get those to you. No, I have. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, we're done. So we're back to going through the New Testament here. So, yeah. So, um, now, if we assume Paul has things in order, let's put that up here, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we have a few other pieces of information. If we assume Paul has it in order in 1 Corinthians, he's going over the historical facts of the gospel and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture, and that he was seen by Cephas. Who is Cephas? Peter. Peter goes by three names in your New Testament. He goes by Cephas, and what does Cephas mean? Now, rock, that's right. Okay, so great, all right. What are his other two names? One of them is pretty obvious. Peter, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Cephas and Peter, what's his other name? Simon, that's right. Simon is the most popular Jewish name. They're all kind of Simons. And so that's his three names. 
And how did he get the name Peter? What? Jesus gave him Peter. And what does Peter mean? Rock. Well, I thought Cephas means a rock. They both mean a rock. One is coming from Greek and the other is from Aramaic. So Cephas is rock in Aramaic. Peter is Petros in Greek. Okay, and Simon is his actual birth name. Anyways, I thought that's a bonus. Okay, it's not on the notes, but so but Paul refers to Peter interestingly this way. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom a greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and we'll look at that a little bit later in our lesson. Then, by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen also by me as one who was born out of time. This list is probably in chronological order uh, of Jesus' appearances, because he says here, you know, after that, then last of all, kind of implies that uh, Paul is going in the order. Um, who's missing out of Paul's list? Is this a comprehensive list? Obviously it's not, since I've asked you who's, how do this list, in this order, as far as witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, who's missing? The women are missing, that's right. James. Yeah, the women, the women are missing. Paul doesn't mention <clears throat> the women are actually the first ones to see Christ. And we, we know that from, from studying those, those four women, uh, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Salome. I can't remember the fourth one. I can't remember the fourth. But those four women were really the first ones to see uh, the risen Christ. And so uh, Paul doesn't have those in his in his list here, but we can infer some things of order here. Correct? James is when the Lord sees James, and this is Jesus's brother. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. But that's after the five hundred. Okay, after he sees the five hundred, then uh, he he sees James, and and so forth. So. Those are, that's about as much as we can know uh, as far as the order of events. Uh, there were additional encounters, encounters with the apostles after the Lord's meeting with James. So let's, let's begin with um, the first post-resurrection appearance, and that's Jesus' appearance with Thomas there. John chapter 20, verse uh, 24 uh, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And that was the first, uh, first time. The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side... I will not believe. Now, it's interesting. He, he seems to know about the print of the nails, and he seems to know about 
the Lord's side. So either the other apostles told him that, and now he's saying, well, I have to see them myself. He has, he has some information about that uh, to actually say that. I, I will not believe. So now after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace to you. Uh, the doors are probably locked. Most translations would, would translate this, the doors, uh, the doors being locked. And that's probably, probably correct. And so, John is re- re- recounting now the rest of the Thomas story here in John's account. And so, let's see here. Jesus specifically now addresses Thomas Thomas's demands. So he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And Thomas said, unless I put my finger into the print of the nails, look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Okay, and, put, and Thomas said, unless I put my hand in his side. So Jesus is explicitly answering Thomas's demands. <laughs> and so he gets and and he goes on and says do not be unbelieving but believing. So <clears throat> Jesus commands Thomas do not be unbelieving but believing. And he commands Thomas to cease his unbelief and believe that he has risen from the dead. Now Thomas not only believes that Jesus has risen from the dead, but he goes further, and of course his exclamation there, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. So Thomas has been cured of his unbelief, and uh, Thomas's doubts regarding Jesus are gone, and he makes this amazing statement. Now, for those of you that are new in our class, we go over these passages twice, and the first pass, we emphasize all the historical details and things. And then we get at a logical stopping point, and then we back up, and the key theological issues that are in the passage, we'll go over them. So we will return to this confession when we put on the theology hat instead of the history hat. And, and when you're doing the history, you've got to go at a, somewhat a good pace <laughs> in order to connect it. So, so we're going to return to Thomas's confession here and how that fits into the Gospel of John as, as soon as we get to the end of this major section. So, uh, but, so this is eight days now, and, and Thomas is, is, uh, is believing. Now, Jesus said something very significant to Thomas, didn't he? And it's here in verse 29, uh, right there. <clears throat> Jesus said to Thomas, said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed that could be a question. I'm not certain. Do some of you have a question mark there in, in your translation? 
Yeah, yeah, it's uncertain whether that, that's actually a question. It could be. Uh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, that's a wonderful statement because what category of all are all we in? We're all in the second category, correct? <laughs> None of us have physically seen the risen Christ. And so, uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Thomas, <laughs> for causing this to happen. Now, Jesus is not complimenting Thomas's faith here. Jesus is pointing out the weakness of his faith. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And in the Gospel of John, this is in that category of, of uh, what did I have in my notes here? It's like in the category of a weak faith, uh, a sign-based faith. Okay, Thomas's, uh, Thomas's faith is better than a sign-based faith. I'll explain that in a moment that's often encountered in the Gospel of John, this sign-based faith, which really isn't saving faith. Thomas's faith is better than that. But those who believe without physically seeing are blessed. You see that? Blessed. Not, Thomas, you're not blessed. Right? Who's blessed in this passage? Not Thomas. <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. They're the ones that are blessed or complimented, not Thomas. Well, you know, there's a range. Rebuke's a pretty strong word. It's certainly not a compliment. (laughs) He's not not complimenting Thomas here. Uh, Whether he's reproving him, um, I'm I'm not sure, Linda, but... You, you see the contrast. And, uh, now, what, what I mean about a sign-based faith, some of you haven't been, been with us. Um, so let me, let me jump back. I'll show you what I mean. In, in the uh, <clears throat> Gospel of John, and we're introduced to this kind of sign-based faith very early in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 2, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Okay? When, now, what? When they saw the signs which he did. So, this is what I mean by a sign based faith. But in the Gospel of John, it's lacking. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of him, for he knew what was in man. So, the, right up front in the Gospel of John, John's telling us that there's this superficial response to Jesus, and it's, and it's a sign-based faith. It's based on witnessing miracles, but not... So, what are they believing? We don't know. They believed in Him as a miracle worker. But did they really believe in Him as the Son of God, as the, as the Lamb, and all of that? No, they really didn't. And, and so... Thomas's faith is better than this, okay, but it's still weak because he has to physically see something, just like having to physically see a miracle, okay, and, and 
We know the Jews were stuck there. Show us a sign that we may believe in you. The, the unbelieving Jews were stuck right there. And so that's what I mean by that. And, and we see the same problem multiple places, but chapter 8 is, a, is another classic place where we've seen this sign-based faith, which is not in the Gospel of John, saving faith. And you see it in, in uh, John chapter 8, verse 12, um, let's, well, let's back up a little bit. No, let's go forward. John 8, around John 8, verse 30. Okay. All right. Yeah, John 8. He's interacting with, with the Jews. And as he spoke these things, many believed in him. And uh, then Jesus said to those who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And so, you see, the test of their faith is do they believe in his words? Okay? See? Do they abide in believing in his words? See that right there? There, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Okay, that's the evidence if they've really believed in him, if they're really his disciples. And he makes that wonderful promise. And if you abide in Jesus' word, what? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And as you read the passage a little further, of course, what kind of freedom is Jesus talking about? What's that, James? Right. Being set free here is not being politically emancipated from the Romans. Being set free here is being set free from the power and slavery of sin. And, that, and then suddenly, those that had believed in him want to stone him by the end of the chapter. So... Thomas's faith is better than that, but he. So that's what I meant by those by those comments. Sure. I think we're yeah. all that way. You got you got the bet. I'm guilty, you know, because I am uh, his child, and I confess that I believe in Jesus Christ as my savior. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, I'm just a human being. And um, I know that people around me will see through, you know, that challenges may occur, but I will put one foot in front of the other and keep going, you know, instead of stumbling. And you talk about that on the pulpit, that your faith can be a stumbling block or Mm. a stepping stone. And, uh, you know, I chose the stepping stone towards God, not towards man. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, and, 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 and in our experience, our faith, our, our faith goes up and down and it varies. And, and just those that have real faith, it's centered around the words. <laughs> okay, faith is always a response to God speaking, to God revealing himself. And, and you see, that's the problem with this John chapter 8 faith right here, is as soon as Jesus begins to explain to them the truth and salvation is from slavery to sin and all this, they can't abide in his words. They can't handle it. 
Okay, so Christians struggle and we stumble and 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 we come back, and and so that process is very real. But we always come back to His words, and and we realize at times if our faith is ebbing low, what we need to do is expose ourselves to His words and promises. You know, if you never look at his promises, don't expect to have much faith. You know, I'm telling you guys, you know, if, if you're not living off of the promises, you, you might wonder why your faith is so, so low. You, you have to hear the word of God. You have to hear the promises. And if you're alive, your, your faith responds. And, and, um, and that's how we can be an encouragement to one another. You know, when we're dragging along, you know, and Spurgeon to say, well, if you keep staring in your empty cupboards, you're never going to get filled. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get fed if you just stare in your empty cupboards. And his point was, you have to look at the promises, you have to look at Christ. But, also, after you hear it, you digest it. Oh, sorry. After you hear the words, digest it. That means you've understood what God said in his in his book. Yeah. But then you just keep it to yourself and not go out there and practice what you heard, you know, in that mm-hmm. it's supposed to be like on Sundays that we go, what, three, four times in a Sunday. But then there's the Wednesday and there was a Tuesday with uh-huh. Wendy. And then there's the Saturday with um, the shower for the CPC. So, so the, the bottom line is we go out there and do it. <laughs> okay, you sound like a commander before the troops. Go out there and do it. That's me with my <laughs> Otherwise, they stray. Okay. Well, you can tell me that sometime, Thelma. So go out there and do it. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I say, Thelma's told me now, go out there and do it. Okay? <laughs> That's good. No, I'm no, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm. No, I'm, I'm funning with you a little bit, but there's something to be said for resolve. And when you read the Psalms, the psalmist often is resolved. So you go out. That's resolve, and may may God give us that that kind of resolve. So, okay. So, what's weak about Thomas's faith is Thomas. Faith is a conviction of things not seen, right? And Thomas is saying, well, I won't believe until I do see. Correct? Hebrews 11. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. And Thomas is saying, well, I won't believe what until I do see with the physical eye. So, but, um, okay, so uh, let's see. Yes. So without seeing, okay. Now, Jesus' statement, of course, is precious to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, we have believed, what? Through the apostles' words. Okay. And uh, let's just look at John, uh, let's look at John 17. Jesus set it all up this way. John 17, verse 20. We see this in his prayer. Jesus' high priestly prayer here, 17, verse 20. 
I do not pray for these alone, the twelve alone, but also for those who will believe in me, what? Through their word. Get that? The emphasis here is the word. They're not going to believe in me through their miracles, though some of the apostles are going to work miracles okay, during that, that apostolic age. But that's, the miracles are not what's going to bring them to faith. What brings people to faith is the apostolic word. And that's what Jesus is laying out here, okay? He's also praying for those who what, will believe in me through their word. So, when anybody tells you they need a sign or a miracle, and it would, help, it would make them believe, you just take them to a passage like this and say, you're just, you're just mistaken, okay? You take them to a passage like this and say, what's going to lead you to faith is a response to the apostolic word about Jesus. Okay, that's what's going to lead you to faith. There's all kinds of people that have witnessed all kinds of miracles and they've never have come to faith. I mean, the whole majority of the Israelite generation in the Old Testament is in that category. Uh, so, uh, that's the type of faith that Jesus is talking about uh, through, uh, through their word without seeing. Comment or question? So this interaction was eight days after the re resurrection day. Um, yeah. Now, oh yeah, I want to say this. Before we leave Thomas's experience, and I think he gets a little too bad of a rap. As we went through this the previous weeks, we should remember that none of the other ten apostles and the two men that were on the road to Emmaus, none of them initially believed without seeing either. They all rejected the women's report all of them. <laughs> the women had seen Jesus. He met them early in the morning when they were heading back to the city. Uh, Jesus met them. When the angel told them the tomb's empty, he has reason. On the way back to the city, those four ladies met Jesus. And they ran back to the city and not a one of them believed. <laughs> not a one of the other ten and the guys from the road. None of them believed. So, so they, they didn't believe uh, without seeing either. They all rejected the women's report. Now, perhaps after Peter saw the Lord, we remember later that day, somehow Peter, somewhere Peter saw the Lord. The Lord appeared to Peter. And Peter came back and testified to the others. Some of them may have believed before Jesus appeared that Sunday evening. I, we don't know, but they may have believed Peter even though they didn't see Jesus. But that evening, uh, that evening Jesus appeared and they all saw. So, so Thomas isn't the only one that, that didn't, uh, that did not believe without seeing. So when we put it all together. Okay. Uh, any questions on, on that one? We'll, 
we'll move on to another another appearance. All right, so let's go to, uh, we'll go to Matthew 28. Uh, <clears throat> and this is meeting in Galilee at a mountain that Jesus appointed. Uh, how do we start this? Um, yeah, this, Matthew proceeds directly from Jesus' appearance to the women early Sunday morning. I'm going to back up here and we, we, we'll pick it up. He proceeds directly from his appearance to the women. So then, so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Now, they hadn't seen Jesus, but they had seen the angel. Okay? And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, met the women, saying, Rejoice! So they came and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now in Matthew's account, the only other thing he puts in here is he breaks the narrative for a moment and he talks about the soldiers that were guarding the tomb. Now, while they, the women, were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and so forth. And he talks about that. And uh, <clears throat> then he resumes his account about the resurrection there in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed them. Right. So, let's think about a few things here to get this uh, historically as the best as we can get it. So, it's unlikely that the disciples... got this little chart, maybe. The, it's unlikely um, that the disciples went to Galilee and came back during this eight days, isn't it? Here's when Jesus met the women. Matthew, we just read that. And then Matthew immediately says, and the eleven, they went to Galilee, to the mountain that was appointed. So I don't think that occurred during these first uh, eight days. They would have had to travel all the way to Jerusalem, uh, all the way to Galilee, they would have to come back. Because what? Eight days in, we have this second appearance with Thomas that we've already looked at. So the Galilee, the Galilee thing is over here. It's over here somewhere, right? It's got. It's got to be over here. Are you with me? Got a lot of blank stares. <laughs> we're just mining. We're just mining the text for whatever information we can find. So Jesus appearing in Galilee, I don't think it can be in here. It's, it's after this appearance. And Thomas is with them um, because it says 11, right? The text says 11 at that point. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. So Thomas, Thomas is with them. So it has to be to the right of that eighth day, doesn't it? Because Thomas, Thomas is not, not even believing until this point, right? So, so it, yeah, it, ha- it has to be to the right of that, okay? So when, when Jesus went to this appointed mountain in, in Galilee... So, yeah. So we don't know specific mountain or any any of those details. So Matthew continues, verse seventeen, with this appearance, uh, that statement. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's a lot of discussion about this text. And um, let's just get into it. So that, that Matthew says that some doubted is a touch of authenticity. What do I mean by that? If Matthew were writing a fake account, <laughs> you know, trying to make everything look good, he wouldn't write that. He wouldn't write some doubted, okay? That's, the, that's one of these marks of, of textual authenticity. This is not a made-up story, okay? Uh, the, the fact that he points out that they, they went there, they worshipped him, but there were some there that were doubting. So Matthew tells us that. Now, um, just who the doubters were and what specifically they were doubting, that's not easy to determine. Now, although verse 16 explicitly refers to the 11, and the they in verse 17 most likely should not be restricted to only the 11. Follow me here. When Okay, so when they, okay, let's see. Uh, they, uh, the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Okay, so the first group of people described here are worshiping him, but some doubted. So all I'm saying is one of the one of the understandings of this passage, which I lean toward, is is the they here includes more than the eleven. That, that that's my point. It includes more than the eleven. So it seems to indicate that the majority present worshipped him, but there were some some doubters. Uh, they uh, and so those that worshipped him obviously weren't the doubters, okay. And uh, <clears throat> it's likely that there were other disciples present, and the doubters were among them. We know that there's an occasion when five hundred are present, and after Jesus ascended, there were. 120 disciples in the upper room. So we shouldn't read this account uh, when Jesus told them to go to uh, Galilee and there you will see me. 
that that was a gathering of only the 11. And that probably is the explanation of those that are doubting at this point. Um, that's about the best, the best I can do. Um, <clears throat> so, though they were slow in coming to faith, and we don't know what's going on uh, during all those days, it's interesting in that eight-day appearance, the doors were locked. So, were they still afraid? You know, at, the, at that point in time, you know, Jesus appeared here on the first day, the doors were locked. And there the text said, because the doors were locked because they, were, they feared the Jews. Well, eight days later here, well, the doors are locked also. So, does that mean they're still, they're, they are still fearful? Maybe it does. Okay? I'm just giving you all the data, okay? And, and I, I, I can't answer all the questions, but it's fine. It's good to know all the questions, even if you can't answer them all, by the way. On any subject, it's good to know all the questions, even if you can't answer all the questions. So, so uh, okay. So, Matthew proceeds directly to the Great Commission in in his account here then. Um, <clears throat> and they worshipped him and some doubted and and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Uh, there's likely a chronological break here. Okay. There may or there may not be. I, I, I'm not sure about that um, because we have... Um, two more accounts of the Great Commission. we got Luke's account, and we've got John's account. And we have Matthew's account. And I want to do all three of those together. So, But this appearance is in Galilee. Um, and we know they're going to end back up in Jerusalem. Correct? Because they're going to wait in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And why are they going to wait? What are they waiting for? We're jumping ahead a little bit, but so yeah. Let, I, let, let's extend our line here. Uh, how many more days do we have to go after the forty days? This will help you remember it. Okay, this is the ascension. So that's day forty. How many more days? And what's the big event? Okay, you can't answer any more questions tonight. <laughs> what's the big event? Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit outpoured, or Pentecost. What does pent mean in Pentecost? P-E-N-T, that term. Means a number. Five... You weren't supposed to answer any more questions. <laughs> Five or 50. Okay. So Pent Pentecost is 50. 50 days. This is day 50. 50 days after Passover. Okay. So that, that they're now waiting for Pentecost. So, um, <clears throat> how did we get here? Why did we get here? <laughs> 
Um, boy. Uh, how did we, why, why did I want to show you that? There was a reason I wanted to show you that. If any of you know a good memory supplement, <laughs> I'm in the market. Uh, there's probably something on my notes that triggered me here. Oh, yeah. It's, we're talking... No, I just wanted you to see that. I just wanted you to see that there's only going to be 10 days from the Ascension and the Great Commission passages are in this period here. And there's three of them. And I don't know <laughs> whether all three of those are unique or whether Luke and Matthew are reporting the same incident with different emphases and so forth. Um, I don't, don't know. All right, so that's all we know about that appearance in, 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 at the mountain in Galilee is what um, Matthew shows us here. Now, what's interesting about Matthew, I want to throw one more thing into your guys' heads, is that <clears throat> it's only Matthew that makes a point to tell us that Jesus went to Galilee. He actually went there and he met at this mountain with them and that's the setting that Matthew gives the Great Commission. And the reason some think that is significant is because Matthew is showing that, that Jesus' work is now going to go among the Gentiles because Galilee is heavily Gentile. And Galilee is where uh, Jesus' public ministry started. And Galilee is that prophecy that people who sat in darkness by the way of the Sea of Galilee have seen a great light. So Matthew writes his account here that he places the Great Commission right there in the context of Jesus going to Galilee. Okay, and that's probably why Matthew wrote his gospel the way he did. And, and so we got Jesus in Galilee, and then we got the Great Commission. Okay? And that, that's probably that movement toward the Gentiles. And you had asked me uh, months ago about Matthew having a Gentile um, emphasis and he really does. Though he's writing to Jews, we can tell that. But he does have a Gentile emphasis spread throughout. And this is one of the examples. And the very fact that the Great Commission appears in Matthew, and Matthew has got Jesus in Galilee, um, so <clears throat> I think that's what's going on. Okay, we've got, we can do one more. Uh, any questions on... Jesus in Galilee at the mountain. Some worshiping and some doubting. All right. The next thing will, is this Jesus' appearance to 500 at once. Where is that coming from? Well, that's coming from Paul out of, out of 1 Corinthians. So, 
I got that up there on the screen. So, after he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, that's probably the eighth day, you know, during the first eight days. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Let me just follow my notes here. So, this appearance, Paul says, is 500 witnesses. And Paul mentions this to the Corinthians, most of whom have never been in Jerusalem. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, Jerusalem's a long way away, and he's telling these Corinthians that Jesus manifested himself to 500 witnesses, most of whom, most of these Corinthians have never been in Jerusalem or Galilee, and they would not have the opportunities to meet any witnesses. Okay? So we're in Corinth now. We don't have an opportunity to check Paul's story out. So the Corinthians need to believe without seeing, don't they? (laughs) They do. And Paul is the only one that mentions this 500 number. It's not in any of the Gospels. But you can see why Paul is doing this, because what's happening at Corinth? What's chapter 15 about? What's occasioning chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians? Most of the chapter. What's occasioning is that there's a teaching that's infiltrating into Corinth that there is no resurrection. That the dead are not raised. That's the context of the 500 witnesses being mentioned. Is there are those in Corinth that are saying the dead are not raised. And so Paul says, well, if the dead are not raised, then Jesus is not raised. Paul argues that way later in the chapter. So, obviously this is true, and Paul happened to know that there was an occasion where there were 500 that witnessed Jesus bodily after his death, after his resurrection, and that most of them remain to the present time. Corinthians was written around 55, 56 A.D. So if we've got resurrection at 33, Paul's writing this at 55. So what, what is that? 22 years. Okay, so this is about 22 years post-resurrection. So, yeah, it's very likely that many of those 500 are still alive. And yeah, some of them... Some of them have died in a 22-year period. So that, that all fits very realistically. And so Paul is telling those Corinthians, you know, you don't believe there's a resurrection from the dead. I know of 500 witnesses that saw Jesus alive from the dead. <laughs> See, so he's bringing on more evidence, you know, for his argument. So, so that, that's what's going on. So none of the Gospels mention this. I've already said that. And this is why Paul likely includes this. Now, is this the same occurrence that Matthew wrote about? When they went to meet him at the mountain in Galilee? 
and they worshipped him, and some doubted. I, or is this a different occurrence? I don't know. And where did this 500 appear? Probably in Galilee. That's where Jesus had most of his sympathizers were in the north. They weren't in Judea. Most of Jesus' sympathizers were in the north, in, the Gal- in Galilee. So, I mean, it's possible that the Matthew, uh, <clears throat> going to the mountain there in Matthew, and what Paul's referring to here is possibly the same or not. Don't, don't know. Uh, okay, so it's about eight. I think we can stop on that one. You know what? Let's stop on that one. We'll, we'll do James, Jesus' brother, next. Comments or comments or questions? You know, the best way to get this stuff is keep reading your New Testament. <laughs> uh, Sandy. Do you think that Jesus specifically chose people he wanted to see him, or was it just random? Um, I think some of it was random as word spread. Now, having said that, I think it's a both and, because in Acts chapter 10, we know that certain witnesses very explicitly were chosen uh, chosen by Jesus. Uh, let me, let, let's look at that. Go Acts chapter 10, around verse 42 is, is where we'll find it. Yeah, this is Peter sharing the gospel with Cornelius' household. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God. But he defines that, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Okay, So uh, that could be more than the 12, but probably not the 500. So, um, and he commanded us to preach to the people. This is that apostolic word. Those are going to believe in him through their word. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, that's our word witness, testify that it is he who is ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. So, so Sandy, some of them, that group of 500, I would imagine that word, you know, was spreading. And uh, um, others, others showed up. And, and they saw him. But I don't know that he chose those 500 specifically. Does that help? Okay. Tell him. I know that I don't know when to shut up. But it's a question that is not asked. That's a stupid question. And somebody told oh, yeah. me. Yeah, what's the question? Okay, the question is, isn't that what Yahweh and the Son Jesus Christ had planned all along since the before even the beginning of the you know the Jesus becoming a, a 
God and then a man for 30-some years sure. and died for our sin. That was the plan. Absolutely. And it was absolutely yeah. the truth. And, you know, we all have to believe in it. Yeah. Otherwise, if we are, like, doubting Thomas's, yeah. you know, it, yeah. he, he would bring you to your knees. Well, obviously, I'm going to stop you right there. It, yeah, we have high views of the sovereignty of God and, and the divine decree. So, so it, the answer to that question, were those 500 planned by God? Well, yes, okay, because not a, not a sparrow falls to the ground without your father. So, so yes. But on the human side of things, your question's very valid, uh, Sandy. Uh, Jesus specifically chose these certain witnesses, and these other witnesses were not chosen like these that are described here. So, so both of those truths are, are in play. So Thelma has high views of God's sovereignty, and that's a great thing. We all should, because he is sovereign. That, that's our goal. <laughs> okay, any... Anybody else with a comment or, or a question? Okay, well, we've gotten through, uh, I think, three of the appearances. And uh, Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, those comforting words that were blessed. Uh, those that believe in you uh, without seeing. We thank you for the apostolic word, the special witnesses that you chose to testify of you. We know that was your plan. And so we trust, we trust in you. And uh, we do pray that you would remind us of these things often, Lord, and uh, uh, forgive us when we, uh, when we do uh, have unbelief Lord, and, and we are insulted personally at times when people don't trust in us. And so, Lord, you're so patient. But thank you for the 500 witnesses and all of these things, Lord. We, we ask your blessing on the rest of our week and, and that you would keep us following you and uh, going out there and doing it, Lord, meaning following your will. Help us know what that is from your word and by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.